Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. This is episode 27 that you are joining us for. Uh, my name is Matt, and I am joined by my two co-hosts, Tiffany B. Hey, hey. And Dan. Ladies. As usual. So if you want to reach out to us here at the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers, you can always hit us up on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can find us on Twitter. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Or you can always comment and join the conversation over at our BGG Guild, number 2077. Today's show, we've got some cool stuff lined up. We are going to do our top of the stack for August, and then we are going to dedicate a big chunk of the show to looking at our top 10 games on the BGG Top 100. Uh, But before we get into any of that, we are going to start the way we always do with a little bit about what we've been playing, and I will kick it over to Dan first. I haven't played much new since the last time we've recorded. Uh, gotten in my usual weekly Imperial Assault and a couple of things like that. But one game I did get to try, uh, courtesy of Matt, was Stockpile. And this is a game from uh, Navu Games, a new publishing company that just recently kickstarted this game successfully. Uh, it's got some art by Jackie Davis, so it's got an appealing looking cover. It's essentially just a quick, light, a stock market game in a way uh, players are competing to gather stocks from i believe there's five or six different companies and then you are bidding on these stocks as well as buying and selling them to net profit and then it's basically just at the end of the game the winner is the person with the most money uh, so very simple in concept um, like i said it's it's nice to look at the components were were decent uh, I wasn't a big fan of the plastic money, but other than that, I thought the components were really nice. Uh, the game stood out on the table. Uh, gameplay for me was just kind of mediocre, though. Um, we played the base game, so I'll, I'll, again, put that caveat in there. There's an advanced side on the back of the board and the base game on the front. And everything for me worked pretty well, except for the auction part. So there's this auction where you are given two cards at the beginning of the round and each player, there's five slots in the game we played. So it's a five player game and you place one face down and one face up in any pile that you'd like. And then at the end, when everyone's done that, you bid on the different piles. So you have some information that is open and some that is hidden. That was interesting. Great. The thing for me was the bidding was just so boring. It really came down to, okay, there's five, there's five rows or five columns of stocks, five players in the game. Uh, each person could basically just put their meeple on zero and call it a day. There was no real cutthroat bidding. It didn't get the like stock markety feel I was hoping to get, like being on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Because I've been there and it's really cool to see that. Um, it was just really anticlimactic. Like I would go and I'd place my meeple on like three which is like the second highest thing you can bid and then someone would just go on another and place it on zero and it would just keep going and i'd be the only person who wound up paying money because everyone else just grabbed a pile for free um so that was like my biggest problem i thought that was just so uninteresting um but other than that i thought the game was pretty solid not something i'd be reaching for at you know every game night but it it kind of scratched the itch if you're looking for a light family weight uh, stock market game. 
Tiff, I know you've played this one. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I only played it the once. It was a little while ago, but I remember coming away from it really liking it. I don't generally get into the whole stock market theme type games. There are a few exceptions to that, but generally they're too dry for me. Uh, but this one I liked, so I don't know. Dan's a little bit more serious with his maths and finance stuff, so maybe... Maybe that accounts for the difference. I It's super light, family style, and I, I would like to play it because it has different, um, like where your companies have different special powers. There are, yep. there are variants. I think that would be neat. Yeah, that's still what I'm waiting to play. I've played five or six times. Um, I still haven't used the back of the board, which changes the stock values for each company and kind of how they grow um, and fall. And I haven't played with the special powers yet. So I've just played the base game like five or six times. Um, I really enjoy it. It's it's kind of crazy fast. When you explain the game, I don't think people realize just how quick five turns or, or four turns is going to go. Um, and you've got to really optimize your moves when you're trying to buy and sell because you're going for the most money, obviously. Um, so it's really interesting. It's easy to play um, once or twice in like an hour almost, you, uh, depending on the, the experience level, but it's pretty fast and furious. Um, in terms of the bidding, just to kind of speak to what Dan said, I've kind of had the the opposite experience. There's definitely the propensity or the possibility, I should say, that everyone could just bid zero and take a pile. Um, but anybody, I guess maybe this speaks to your one play, Dan, but it, once you've played a couple more times, you'll start to realize the value of certain things and that nobody should be paying zero, one, three dollars. Those It's way too cheap to let people get away with. And it gets a little more cut through it once you kind of understand the value and understand that I'm going to need to force people into these bidding situations if I want um, want to win. So eh, I won. And I did, I just put it on auto control. I just kind of was like, all right, bid. Okay. Collect a pile. Okay. Sell. Like there was no tension for me. That was my biggest thing. I, I found a different thing, you know, with, with people who kind of bid you up and there's usually a pile or two that are worth a little bit more, um, at least in my experience. And even that game that you played, I have a different perception of kind of how the bidding went. I thought it was pretty active with five players, um, but it, it's definitely changes with experience level i would say at least in my opinion but overall i'm really happy with stockpile i like it i think that it's a fast quick game and definitely one that even if you wouldn't normally try a game like this it could be one that you would like just because it is so user-friendly and it's got a real low barrier to entry but then if you like these kinds of games and you're a little more experienced you've got those uh, variant options to play with like tiff said so i think it's a win but i get that you know it it is lighter yeah, I think it's a good entry level kind of stock market game if you're looking to get into that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, it had some neat mechanics in it. I'm not taking that away from it. I just, just maybe it was too light for my tastes. Well, it's been well established that you don't like fun games, so that makes perfect sense. It's true. It's very true. I like good games. Sorry, guys. Tiff, what have you been playing? Well, since we're on the topic of stock market games, I'll talk about Tesla versus Edison. Uh, I got a copy of this, and just the title of it appeals to me on a very geeky level. Uh, I might not normally reach for this game, but I, I was I was excited about kind of the theme of it, the historical theme of it. I like that in games. Um, so you can learn kind of a little bit about history via playing this game, so that's kind of cool. So basically you're um, controlling an inventor, one of the important inventors of the time, and you're... 
you're making inventions and you're you're building the power grid and it's the struggle between the AC and DC technology. So you're using a p- propaganda war to sort of promote one or the other. And so it's, I mean, it's very much like the historical stuff behind the time. And I think it evokes that really well. Um, you have a stock market. So the winner is the person with the best stock portfolio at the end of the game. So as you're creating projects and engineering and building these routes on a map um, and, and then selling and buying stock, those prices are rising and falling. And whoever's, you know, at the top of the food chain with, you know, the shares that they happen to own win at the end of the game. Our game was two players because I thought Tesla versus Edison, usually these games don't work too well with two players, but with that title, I thought, well, maybe it might. And we gave it a try. Rado gave it a kind of a thumbs up for two players. So I didn't really like it as two players. I know it would play better with more. So I can say that for sure, that it needs to be played again with more players. For us, the conclusion was really anticlimactic. We had a similar problem as Dan was describing in Stockpile with our auction. You have these, besides just your inventor who helps you do actions and do and has a special ability, you also have an auction for these different guys. They're called luminaries, and they also help you take all the different actions of the game. But you, you auction for them at the start of the different phases. And with two players, it was kind of like, I bid three on this. And then I would be like, I bid nothing. I get mine for way cheaper than you. And that's kind of how it went. So it was kind of, you know, it was boring to do that. It, it felt superfluous. So for two players, I didn't think that part of it worked really well. What really did work well was the buying and selling of the stocks. Because when you buy the other person's stocks, their stock price moves up. But when you, just one step, when you sell it, you move their stock price to the next column, which can take it down quite a bit depending on where they are. You would have to see the board should really understand what I'm saying. But instead of moving down one step when you sell, they move down a more significant amount. And it changes as they go up on the scale. So um, later on in the game, it can be much more devastating to sell your opponent's stock. So it's kind of like this interesting play of when is the right time to buy their stock or my stock? When is the right time to sell it that's going to hurt them the most? It's not completely, you know, cutthroat, take that. It doesn't hurt as much as I'm making it sound, but it it can be really a decisive thing. And I think that's what... um I played with Kyle, who's one of our guild members. That's what made the difference in our game. I think he did a much better job of, you know, knowing when to buy and sell. And I think with subsequent plays, you'd get better with that. But all in all, I'd say for two players, it's probably not a win. For more players, I think it would be much more interesting because we would probably get more into the propaganda side of it. Like I said, you're kind of trying to either promote or demote, uh, the, the technology that you've invested in and, you know, kind of mess with what your opponent is. You kind of have to pick one or the other, even though you can do both, it behooves you to, to go with either AC or DC. So if you've gone AC, you're trying to make that the higher technology and it'll help your stock go up faster. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it would be better with most, with more players and I think this is probably the stock game that Dan would like to play. Yeah, that's a stock game. Thank yeah. you. 
That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm bringing it to Gen Con because uh, I really think you'll enjoy it. And I think that I would enjoy it more with more players. So in. Cool. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to play it. That was a Kickstarter game, wasn't it? Is it coming to full retail? Yeah, it's releasing at Gen Con, actually. Gotcha. And it's I, I didn't even mention the artwork and the components. Like the the artwork is really I like it. It's very clean looking, has historical images. And the one thing that people are talking about in terms of components is you have these, you know, you have paper money, but it's not paper money. It's like uh, cardboard money. It's not the thick cardboard board but it's like a player mat i don't even know what they call that Mm -hmm. you know like a card stock so it's a little bit thicker a little bit more substantial and i definitely i'm glad they went with that instead of paper money because it makes you happier yeah to play with so it's a really well produced game and if you're into economic games and stock games and you have more than two players i'd probably recommend it cool Very cool. Well, something that I got to play, um, I picked up and got my first play of Tigris and Euphrates in. So this is going back to board gaming roots. I mean, this is considered a a classic and it was recently reprinted by FFG for that exact reason um, as part of their Euro Classics series. Um, So they redid some of the art assets and upgraded the components to look more FFGE. So there's plastic and you know nice cardboard tiles and things like that but the game itself is the reason that i went for it is that um, i've heard it's pretty cutthroat and kind of mean and i actually heard this from dan and tiff specifically because i asked them one day i was like tiff should i buy tigris and euphrates uh and she said i don't know it's pretty it's pretty mean and i said i don't know if that's going to go over well but um i went ahead and went for it anyway because it is fundamentally a tile lane game and kelly b is an excellent tile layer she's good at tile lane games and she enjoys them and she just so happens to kick my butt in everything so i figured a cutthroat game with tile lane would be ideal that'd be an ideal situation to trick kelly b into playing more games with me so i asked the guy at the store i said does this play well at two and he said yes but it's probably at its meanest at two and i said perfect that's exactly what i'm going for um the game itself is basically a tile lane game in which you're trying to build these groups of tiles that end up being called kingdoms. Um, you have different leaders that you will play next to them to control um, in an area control kind of fashion. And through clever tile placement, you will both score points and enter into combats. And it's most points at the end of the uh, at the end of the game wins. But the actual score that you get is the lowest value you have in one of the four colors of points that you can score. So there's red, green, black, and blue. And whichever one you have the least in is your your score. And then whoever has the most of that, if that makes sense, um, is actually the winner. So you're trying to do everything well, almost like um, Lords of Zidit, which obviously came afterwards, but that's the game that I was like, oh, this is like the Zidit scoring where you have to be kind of good at everything to survive. Um, when combats happen, it's a basic like, count up the certain color that you have, add some extra colors from your hand. So it's very simplistic, but the way you string tiles together is exactly what I was talking about. It's mean. The way that you can kind of engineer these situations to put people in tough spots and the way that you kind of have to constantly be at your opponent's throats to keep them from scoring, um, it's very interactive for such an abstract game. I really liked it. Um, 
and I'm hoping that I can get some more plays in soon. I didn't know if you guys had any interest in this. Tiff, I think you've actually played it, right? Yeah, I played it one time, and it was with people that I didn't know so well, mm-hmm. and I may or may not have threatened to flip the table at one oh, point. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So, uh, it's not one that I would reach for right yeah. away. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't find it to be that mean. I played it with Cress and Anna once, and they were the two that I first played Tammany Hall with. And Tammany Hall was a game that we were like all about to flip the table at each other because we were so frustrated. And I'd put T and E below our frustration of uh, Tammany Hall. So I was like, okay, this is mild compared to what we've experienced before. But I get, I get that feeling, Tiff. Yeah, I get yeah, it. it's tough. So yeah, so I mean, that's Tigris and Euphrates. Definitely a fun game if you like that style of game and go in forewarned that it might make people like to flip the table. So, um, <laughs> well, and I wasn't forewarned. I think that was the, the problem. So, yeah. yeah, I had no idea what the game was. It was like, Oh, this is a classic game. You should definitely try this. I'm like, cool, let's do it. And it looked so dry and like tile is a little bit dry, but it's, sm- it's a very smart game. Like I, I understand why it's a classic, um, whether or not you like it. I think there's something to appreciate there in the design, but I can get that. It's not for everyone. Absolutely. Okay, so that is a little bit about what we've been playing. One game apiece, nice and sweet. (laughs) Short and sweet. Nice and sweet. Uh, Short and sweet. So we are going to go ahead and transition right into our top of the stack for August. First, we're going to introduce the accountability factor because we don't always do this. Uh, Let's talk about our Uh, recap of July. And Tiff, since you're sighing and moving away from your mic physically, let's talk about what you've played and what you were supposed to be playing. All right, so I'll make this short. So I said that I was hoping to play Spyfall, Marco Polo, and Broom Service, and I only played Spyfall. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have many game nights in between uh, when we had our top of the stack discussion and now because I was planning for camp and then I was at camp. So I only really had the opportunity to play lighter games, but I'm really glad I got to play Spyfall because I don't hate it quite as much as I once did. I think that's that's a win. Yeah, for of me all it definitely the games. is. Dan, how about your top of the stack for July? How'd you do? Dominating as always. That's what I do. I just play the shit out of games. You missed one. I missed one. I know. I wanted to play Broom Service, Marco Polo, and Chaosmos, and I got all the Broom Service in. But I'm highly motivated to play that one since it just won Kennerspiel. So I need to see what all the the broom haha is about. Get it? <laughs> Puns. Very nice. And my tablet stack was Marco Polo, Forbidden Stars, and Dreadball. I got to play Marco Polo and loved it. I played Forbidden Stars and loved it. I did not get to revisit Dreadball. And I even tried to trade Dan. I said, if you play Dreadball with me, I'll play Broom Service. And he said no. So he's not that motivated to play Broom Service. No, uh, I just know I can. He's not Dreadball motivated. I can, I can get Broom Service played without having to sacrifice my soul to Dreadball. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really think that would take a lot out of you? No, uh, I just wasn't in the mood for Dreadball, that's all. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that I play Broom Service either way. So you didn't need to take my deal. You called my bluff. Let's go ahead and talk about August then. This is August considering Gen Con and Gen Con releases. So, Tiff, we'll start back up with you. You have a slim top of the stack. Okay. So, (laughs) I think three might be a little bit too much. 
for me. I, I always end up playing lots of games, but I can't focus myself on three games for top of the stack. And I know school is starting up. Like, I have Gen Con, and then a week off, and then school. And once school starts, I will be living there for at least the first, like, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I just highly doubt that I will be getting games that I already own, like, played. Yep. So I know I'll get to play some stuff at Gen Con and I could list some of the stuff I'm planning on buying at Gen Con, which is kind of what I did. Um, I am really excited about Takenoko Chibis. I <laughs> I just played Takenoko recently to brush up on the rules because it's such a super complex game and yep. uh, I wanted to be ready. <laughs> so I'm planning on picking that up and I'm bringing my uh, regular size Takenoko that I bought around Christmas time in anticipation of Chibis because previous to that, I only had the giant version, you know, like I do. So yeah, I'm excited to play Chibis and that is 100% the top of my stack. I'm not putting anything else because I have no idea what I'm going to play at Gen Con. Um, Probably some of the things that Dan has on the top of his stack. So we'll see. That's a very sensible approach to top of the stack. I like to be practical, you know, it took you a little while to get there, though. Dan <laughs> and I still live in while. denial. That's hey, I, okay. I'm running like a 66% rate. That's not too bad. That's failing in the American school systems. Well, it depends on what school you go to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my if you go to the school day. of hard knocks, oh, wow. that's passing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> Dan, you're such a badass. I'm uh, from the streets, Tiff. <laughs> from the mean streets. From the mean streets of suburban of Maryland. <laughs> Millersville. Well, my top of the stack probably sounds more familiar than not. Uh, Forbidden Star is still in the top of my stack. Want to play it some more. Really enjoying it. Ashes, Rise of the Phoenixborn, the one game that I will get delivered right to my doorstep. I got my shipping label from Plat Hat yesterday. I'm so excited. It's going to be here. I'm just going to do that instead of worrying about Gen Con. And then the Abyss expansion, obviously. If Dan decides to be a decent human being and and be nice to me, I will have an Abyss expansion when he gets home, and I will just cradle it and hug it and love it, and at some point probably get it to the table. So that is my top of the stack. And Dan, what do you have? Um, I went a similar route to Tiff. I kind of predicted what I would have at Gen Con, because we are recording this before Gen Con, a little secret to the listeners. Um, <gasps> behind the veil. Um, Discoveries. So this is the new Lewis and Clark dice-based game. Um, I'm actually really excited to try this. I watched a couple of videos on it because it's dice and it's a dice game. And that usually goes for me. But uh, this one, this one gave me kind of a roll for the galaxy vibe with a little bit more of a theme I enjoy as well as a couple of little twists that I thought were, were interesting. So I'm really looking forward to trying this one out. I think it's got enough decisions in it. Unlike a game like nations, the dice game that will keep my attention. So I'm trying that out. Uh, Hansa Teutonica. So I'm kicking it a little bit old school here, but this is the reprint from uh, passport games is going to have this at Gen Con. So I fully intend to pick this up because I've heard nothing but good things from some trusted sources from from Matt Riddle. From Matt Riddle. I've heard from a few people. Not just yeah. Matt, but Riddle does praise it highly. So I, I trust that man when it comes to the Euros. Um, he is soulless and dry, similar to me. Um, so I really want to play that. And that'll be like my first time playing that. So that'd be cool. And then Takanoko with the Chibis because it's Bowser 
and it's baby chibis, which are babies, technically. It's baby babies. It's baby babies. It's <laughs> baby, 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 baby. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. my. We're getting out of hand. So that is our top of the stack for August. Be sure to join us on the BGG Guild, where we'll have a post up for top of the stack, and let us know what you guys and gals will be playing, uh, especially during this very exciting Gen Con season. So we are going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to do our top 10 games currently listed on the BGG Top 100. So join us for that. All right, everyone, welcome back. We are getting ready to go through our top 10 games on the BGG Top 100 because we thought we'd chat about some of the awesome games that we like and which ones are best of the best. So we are going to start with Tiff, then go to me, then go to Dan, and we'll go 10 to 1. So Tiff, take it away. All right, so my number 10 is Keyflower, which I don't get to play very often. I kind of rank these in terms of how much I get to play them. Uh, but Keyflower is a really interesting um, sort of auction bidding game where you have a whole bunch of different workers, different colored workers, and you use them to bid on different tiles, which builds up your city. And you can also use those workers to get resources. And I don't know, it's just kind of like a really neat take on bidding that I actually enjoy. So Keyflower. So my number 10 is Imperial Settlers from Portal Games. This is the reimagining of the 51st state game system. Um, It is kind of a multiplayer card game and an engine builder slash civilization builder with cards where you are trying to kind of optimize your engine and score points by building buildings and raising other people's buildings. Um, I think the game is really interesting. There's lots of nice combos. They're coming out with new expansions and new uh, races and civilizations to play uh, pretty frequently. And I just think there's a lot to explore in this game. And I'm a big fan of card games in general. So Imperial Settlers is my number 10. I don't get to say my number 10 because someone has it higher on my list. But so I will tell you my number nine instead, which is Caverna, uh, which is the, I don't know, the spiritual successor to Agricola. Um, I do like Agricola a lot. It would definitely be in my top probably 15 if I got to do that many games. But for me, Caverna is just a much more smooth and forgiving game. It's one that I think is easier for me to get out with people because there is some nasty aftertaste from our early Agricola days. Um, it's just a good game and you're, you're building a dwarf cave. I mean, and then you're sending your little dwarves on adventures. It's so dwarfy good. So many components. Yeah. It has a ton of components. So many components, such thin theme. You're not really a dwarf doing anything. You're, you're still just a farmer. A dwarf farmer. Yeah, but I was all excited for adventuring. It turns out adventuring is just, oh, you get the this guy, thing. The guy who plays RPGs can't use his imagination to turn a farmer into a dwarf farmer. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough for me. Uh, but, and wait a second, you're playing in an RPG with me. Are you guys playing an RPG? What are you playing? We're going to play Shadowrun, but I don't know that Dan actually wants to play. I'll make him play. It'll be good for him. I want to try. I don't know. 
You guys are way, way into it. It's going to be scary for me. All right, so my number nine, speaking of card games, remember my number 10, is Summoner Wars from Plat Hat Games. This is a two-player card game where you take on the roles of a summoner, uh, kind of navigating a grid, uh, a board grid, and you are casting spells and casting units and then controlling those around the board to kill the opposing summoner. Um, It's got that same kind of fantasy theme, like something like Magic or Mage Wars. Um, It's interesting and quick, and I really like the fact that you can play the decks right out of the box. You don't have to worry about deck building and getting bogged down in in lots of expansions they're there if you want them or you can just play it as kind of a quick easy two-player card game uh so that is my number nine summoner wars and my number nine is navigador Uh, it's a fantastic mac gertz game that uses a rondelle for actions which i just i love rondelles and i have a lot of nostalgia for this one because I played it. It was one of like the really long, complicated games that I learned for the first time. Now I look back at it, I'm like, it's not that complicated. But uh, it's about exploring, uh, sh- getting ships, establishing colonies, trading goods on the market. And it's just got a little bit of everything that makes it so Euro-y. And, and it's got the most beautiful map in the history of games. So, yeah. Jai- or Jaipur. What am I saying? <laughs> Navigador. <laughs> Your number eight, Tiff. So for going on to number eight, I can't mention mine because someone else has it further up on their list. Matt, what's your number eight? Oh, excellent. I appreciate that transition. Uh, my number eight is the X-Wing Miniatures game from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, this is a really cool way to get into a miniatures game and into a Star Wars game at a pretty low barrier to entry, um, depending on how much you want to collect and invest. But everything's pre-painted. The rules are really simple. It's easy to play and build forces. You can be the dark side or the light side or the rebels, the scum and villainy, um, all kinds of cool stuff to explore in X-Wing, and they support it really well. Plus, those ships look so darn good. So my number eight is the X-Wing Miniatures game. My number eight is Imperial Assault, the one game on this list that scratches my Ameritrashy itch. You should get that looked at. I should, because it's it's not something I like to, to have. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is the, the spiritual successor. Again, I have a lot of spiritual successors in my low part of my list here. Uh, to Descent, based in the Star Wars universe. I really enjoy this. It I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, so this kind of gives me all that I need in a tight little package. So my number seven is Lewis and Clark, uh, the original. I mentioned Discoveries earlier, uh, but this is the game that came out, I guess, a year or two ago now. Uh, This game is amazing. It's multi-use cards and kind of a race game all in the same little thing. So I really enjoy this game. It's it can be a little bit AP at times, but it's super tight and super interesting. And I love how my brain feels melted when I'm done playing it. Cool. My number seven is higher on somebody else's list. So I will say quietly my list. Okay. So my number seven <laughs> is just, I, I, it had to be somewhere on my list because it's the game that kind of started me down this treacherous path of hobby board games and that is pandemic just good old classic pandemic so good for the tension it's a great one to bring people into the hobby because it's that co-op 
game that's pretty easy to explain and uh, is so different from what people expect from board games. That's why it attracted me, and that's why I still love it, Pandemic. Number six. My number six is higher on Matt's list, so I'm not going to talk about that right now. But uh, what is your number six, Matt? Sorry, I'm taking up all your spotlight, Tiff. That's all right. Uh, Russian Railroads is my number six. This is the crazy Euro game about trains that lets you score 500 points and make you feel awesome about yourself. Uh, This game is a whole lot of fun. It's all about efficiency and engine building. Um, There are a bunch of different ways to play while still keeping the general system the same each time. Um, It just... It feels good to execute things in this game, and it's a Euro game that I'm always willing to play. I really enjoy it, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a darn good game, and it's it's pretty basic worker placement, but I enjoy it a lot. And that is Russian Railroads, my number six. So my number six and my number five are both higher on Tiff's list, so I don't get to talk for now. Yeah, my number five is also higher on someone else's list, so it looks like it's the Tiffany B. Power Hour. Sweet. Uh, So my number five is Lords of Waterdeep. Um, I'm anticipating catching some slack on this, or, you know, flack on this one. You will get uh, no slack on Lords of Waterdeep. I won't get slack, but I might get some flack. I don't know. I just... I could play this game anytime, and maybe it's just because of my recent experiences playing it with my kids at school and seeing them like really get into the strategy of it and really get into the take that and, and mandatory quests and really enjoying that aspect of it has made it has has given it kind of a new life for me. But when it came out on the app, I played the crap out of it. Uh, I enjoy it in cardboard form as well. Uh, I just think it's kind of just, it's a nice vanilla worker placement game with just a couple little tweaks that uh, make it fun. And it plays pretty quick too. Lords of Waterdeep. And I guess I'll move on to number four since I get to talk forever now. Um, My number four is Glory to Rome, which I'm so glad that I got the pretty version of Glory to Rome, and I think that definitely helps. But just the I, the multi-use cards and the struggling to decide how to be- most efficiently use your cards, plus the crazy uh, abilities that some of the cards let you have, it can be a little swingy and... Um, there could be a runaway leader, but I don't even care when I lose. It's just that much fun. Glory to Rome. Very cool. I still have not played that. I need to get on that. You do. Uh, my number four is Jaipur, 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 whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is a two-player card game, uh, hand management about kind of collecting, set collection, and selling off goods. Uh, it is awesome because it's fast to play, it's super simple, and it's really, really portable and really easy to just break out with anyone. Um, plus there's camels and there's a little tiny panda hiding on one of the camels. Uh, we have a review on nonsensicalgamers.com. Japer is a really fantastic two player game. Definitely one you should check out and get your hands on. That is my number four. It's my number six. Um, it's kind of my go-to, uh, two-player game. So anytime I just have one opponent, we're looking to play something quickly. Uh, Jaipur is my go-to. I actually might have a review of that on my old website on sociallyineptgamer.com because that's how much uh, I love that game. I wrote a so review. So many plugs. <laughs> All the plugs. Awesome. It's my number Enjoy 10. It. And I know there's a review on nonsensicalgamers.com because I wrote it. <laughs> All right. All right. So my number four is from 
the German man himself, Mr. Stefan Feveld. It's Trajan, his best game by far. I love that game. The Rondell mechanic is so good. It's just, uh, I could just go in circles with that man all day. I love that. Um, fine. Yeah. I know Tiff likes Bora Bora better. And Matt likes that Aquasphere game. But Trajan is amazing, and I bet there's a ton of people out there that will agree with me. This is I won't Feld's disagree best with game. you. Not disagreeing with you. I just like picking at you on this one. I, I like Trajan. I'm trading some cards for this game. Some sucker out there just gave up a game for some promo cards. Hey, that sucker happens to be like a local friend of mine, so be nice. Okay. I'm sorry, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my number four. My number three is from oh, this man, Swoon, uh, Antoine Bauza, and it's Seven Wonders. And this game, I don't know, this was one of the first games I bought when I got back into the hobby market games back in, I don't even remember, 2011, something like that. And I love this game. It's so quick. It's so easy to teach. Um it just it accommodates seven players. I mean, there's not many games out there that are so robust as far as decisioning tree and stuff like that and still give everyone at the table a good experience that go up to seven. Like it's just it's a great game. I really enjoy it. I love the way he kind of condensed the Civ feel into just the drafting mechanic and how you're working with just your neighbors. Um, I don't know. Really enjoy this game. I want to play it again now. Yeah, Seven Wonders is also my number seven, oddly enough. I didn't even mean to do that. Uh, seven Wonders is one of those early gems that um, a lot of people play when they're just starting out board gaming, including us. And I, I had to put this somewhere similar to what uh, why Tiff had to kind of make sure Pandemic was on there. I had to make sure Seven Wonders was on here because it's an awesome game. It's got all kinds of great expansions, and it just deserves to be, you know, in the top ten. Unlike Tiff, I don't know what she's doing over there. It is not in hers. You know, Seven Wonders is okay. I I have fun playing it, and I agree about the whole condensing the Civ feel into a card game and stuff, but I don't think it's as easy to teach. I, at least it hasn't been easy to teach for my group. We have to relearn it every time we get it out, because we don't play it often enough, and that's my only qualm with it, is there's a lot of stuff that you kind of have to remember from game to game. Yeah. I don't, like Dan, consider it a filler game. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We're not going to talk about this. Let's not bring that up. Things can right. get ugly. Moving on to number three uh, is probably one of my favorite games of the year so far, Roll for the Galaxy, which is the re-implementation of Race for the Galaxy, the card game. This is the dice game version. I think anyone who's listening to this and has listened for a bit knows that I'm a big fan of Roll for the Galaxy. It is just an excellent implementation of a dice game that gives you control and gives you lots of interesting decisions to make while still playing off a little bit of that randomness, but it's so mitigatable, if that's a word. It's so manageable, um, and it it's such a kind of brief game. Like, you can play it in a half hour with two players or with four players because everything's simultaneous. So it's just such a fun game, and I cannot wait for the expansion that is coming out soon. I agree completely, since Roll for the Galaxy is my number three as well. Um, I 
I've played this the most out of maybe any game ever, possibly. It's it, when I first got it, especially I was just playing it all the time, and the the fact that it's skypeable, easily skypeable, and feels like the game even when you're playing that way uh, makes me love it even more. Also, dice cups, those dice cups, dice I love cups. them. They're so good. And the uh, weird little running man meeples. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I don't know. Roll for the Galaxy just totally killed Race for the Galaxy for me. And I like that game, but no one would play it with me. So, this solved that problem, and that's why I love it. I agree. I disagree. Damn, your number three. Yeah, well. <laughs> but, but you're going to pick up Discoveries because it's like Roll for the Galaxy. No. Hmm. And that it has. Hmm. No, I, I, I disagree Talk that it's not. That. I disagree that it's number three on that list of 100 games i don't disagree that it's a, a decent game i think it's a good game it's too fun i know it's too much fun got it's it it's not fun at all you're sitting behind a screen <laughs> i thought you liked dry doing nothing games you know i so do but i'd rather do it outside of a screen he like he wants to have his dice out in the open for everyone yeah, he, to see anyway sorry he appreciates the challenge uh <laughs> tiff you're number two. Y'all are douchebags. Um, love you. <laughs> um, my number two is Alien Frontiers. Uh, it's a dice game. I love dice. I love the dice in this game uh, because it combines like my two favorite things, worker placement and dice and, and dice as workers. It was kind of a huge deal when this came out. It has the space theme that I love, a little bit of area control, but not too much uh, Sometimes I like area control, sometimes I hate it. This is one where I like it. Uh, so it's it looks great. It's got great components. It's fun to play. Fairly easy to teach. It's got all the things that I like. So that's Alien Frontiers. Alien Frontiers is my number five for those exact same reasons. I really like dice placement as a worker placement variant, and I really like area control, and this puts them both together and has a quirky sci-fi theme on it. It's really kind of a home run for an amalgamation of awesome stuff. Yeah. And it's Dan's number six. I don't know if he's going to talk about that. It's my number six. That's it. That's all he's got to say about that. Cool. Well, my number two is Zulkin. And I feel like I'm going to get some uh. flack and no slack for this. Uh, Zulkin is a Euro-style game worker placement that introduces kind of a timing, uh, rotating gear mechanism. I don't know if you want to what you want to call it. But basically, um, you are almost kind of like investing your workers at times and letting them sit on this revolving track um, at each one of the spaces. And at certain points during the game, you're going to take them off for the the benefit that they are currently located on. And I find that that is both unique and interesting. It, it's not just kind of a gimmick. It really does work. And it's it's a really unique and fluid way to do a worker placement and and this idea that you have to either put workers on or take workers off really puts you in some tough decisions um, when you kind of overextend yourself in certain areas and you end up having to you know rework your plan or it, it just rewards multiple plays and and it's I wouldn't say that it's all that quick it can take a little while and I think that's one of the the downfalls of it but I find it to be engaging the whole way through and I think that it's probably my favorite euro game one of them, at least. Wow. Um, yeah. I agree with pretty much everything you said, except for, like, I find that game intensely frustrating, and it and it's too long for me to be frustrated. 
but yeah yeah to each their I own acknowledge that point like that's definitely a legit point but for some reason i i'm okay with it with this game i feel like we're really adult about this disagreement that's good yeah <laughs> <laughs> dan you're number two my number two is village quite possibly the greatest game other than my number one um this game is amazing the mechanic to actually try and kill off your people strategically in order to you're not killing them they're passing away you're killing you are expediting their their demise so it's just such a unique mechanic i love the way it it escalates and it adds just a different element i love how it's just you're taking actions and that kind of requires a certain amount of time which then you have to kind of pace yourself but you also have to score points at the same time and there's just i don't know i love it but as complicated as i made that sound it's really not that complicated of a game but it just flows so smoothly um it's got two expansions Uh, i've only played with one of them but i can't wait to get the second one and i love marcus and inga brand so village my number two Village is my number eight. I really love Village. I don't think it... I have the expansions. I played one. I don't think it needs expansions because it's just that good. I, I think, in my case, I think the expansions made it worse somehow. But um, Village is a great game. I The only reason it's my number eight and not higher on my list is because I kind of ranked mine in order of how able I am to get them to the table. And Village isn't always one that people are like, yeah, let's kill some people kind of a thing, but it's a great game. It's so much fun. Fun? I guess it's fun. We'll call it fun. It's amazing. It's fun to solve, yeah. Yeah. To work through. Okay, and my number one, drum roll, please, or don't, because that'll probably sound really bad on the sound quality, but uh, Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica. My absolute favorite game i enjoy this game thoroughly it just combines so many things that i really enjoy uh one of those being uh variable player powers and it has this in spades with 14 different races all that play differently um you basically just pick one and try and solve it for that game i just i love everything about this game it's it's a bit on the meteor side uh but it's just, it's one I will never refuse. I absolutely love it. I've only played it once, and it was in less than ideal conditions. So I can neither confirm nor deny that this is the greatest game ever. But it has a lot of good stuff in it. You played it two-player, which is probably its worst player count. Because it yeah. does have an area control, as well as you get to play off of your neighbors in a way in that they're building and it also helps you kind of thing. So in two players, you could basically just kind of sit on the opposite sides of the board and never have that interaction that it's meant to have. So for me personally, I think two players is probably its worst count. That makes sense. And therefore it's not the best game ever. Cause you can't play it two players. I want to play this more. We never get this to the table. It's a shame. I have it in it my is car, a lot of fun. I think. You need to put it on the top of the stack, fellas. I think I put it on top of the stack. I'm petition I've petitioned Dan to like let's play this game, but you know, there's a Maybe lot of you out need there. to have a joint top of the stack. Like plan things together. No? All right, we can put no? Dreadball on there. It's fine, Dan. <laughs> I accept. 
All right, let's do my number one. My number one is Android Netrunner, the card game. And you can call it an LCG if you want, but I'm going to call it a collectible game because anybody who plays this game is just going to be sucked into buying everything. Uh, This is the redesign and re-implementation of Richard Garfield's original game from the 90s. Uh, It was recreated and put out by FFG. And I will say that this is in my opinion, the smartest and most interesting two-player card game out there. Um, Maybe I can put the collectible tag on there. Um, I found that the depth and the design of this game is impressive and daunting at the same time. There's a lot to get over in terms of barrier to entry, but once you get there, it's engaging and interesting and it's super interactive. And I think that that's the asymmetry in the game and the interaction is one of the strong points and why this game is so unique and has done so well, because you really do feel like you and the opponent are kind of locked in this contest. Um, and there's so much to gain from this game. And unfortunately, I no longer play it because I could not find anybody to sit on the other side of the table with me. But yeah, I, I still contend that this is one of the best games around. And that's Android Netrunner. Yay. And my number one is Stone Age, which shouldn't come as much of a surprise to anybody. Uh, I love this game for its simplicity. It's a a worker placement where you use dice to get resources. So it's got both of my major things that I love in it. It's kind of an easy-to-teach game. It's a You could call it an entry-level or a gateway game type of thing for worker placement, so I've gotten to play it with a lot of different groups, and, and I don't know. It just always goes over well. I've I've very rarely played a game of Stone Age where someone was really unhappy, unless I'm playing with Chris Kopak because I always kick his butt in it, and he hates <laughs> that, but <laughs> this is just one of those games that immediately sort of like clicks with my brain and how I think, and I'm able to, it makes me feel smart, so that's a, that's a key ingredient to all of my games. Also, Dice Cup. Leather dice, dice cup. cup. Yeah. That that must be one of my things. I'm gonna have to add that to my and mating hut. Yeah, you got that too. It's you a got twofer. it. You really and it's got Michael Menzel artwork, which is mm-hmm. another thing. It's just ticking off all the things. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so good. And I just picked up the the Z Man version of the expansion, even though they didn't call it style as the goal. I love that that was the name no. of the expansion originally. It's so quirky and they weird. They just called it the expansion. That's uh, so boring. They should have stuck with style as the goal. I just love the <laughs> idea of, like, cavemen with style. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Stone Age. Excellent. So, that is our top 10 of the BGG Top 100. If you want to recap of the list, we'll go ahead and post that in our BGG Guild number 2077. If you want to contribute your own list or tell us why we're wrong, head on over to the Guild as well or shoot us an email at podcastnonsensicalgamers.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers or you can always chat with us on Twitter by finding us through these handles. Tiff, where do they find you? Mine is at ineptgamer. And Dan, where do they find you? At League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Ned. All right. And you can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. And that is all for now. We will catch you next time. Bye. Toodles. Bye.